0: Hi, and welcome to another episode of questions. Today, we have a question in from Terry, who writes in, what slash who does Jesus save us from? Who is the primary enemy of sinful mankind? And are we first and foremost saved from Satan, sin, ourselves, or something slash someone else? We're going to hear from Pastor Joel today. Pastor Joel, what does the Bible have to say about this?
1: That's a great question. Let me, um, let me look at Ephesians chapter 2. I think that that'll be helpful. I wasn't actually planning on going to this text, but just hearing the question one more time gave me this thought, and I, I think that it'll help a little bit with framing the question. So Ephesians chapter two is speaking of man's state apart from Christ, apart from God's grace and his redeeming work uh, through faith in Christ. it speaks of our relationship apart from Christ to Satan and to sin. And I think that'll be helpful. Uh, This is Ephesians chapter two. It says, you were dead, starting in verse one. And you were dead. In your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient, that is, the devil. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. Then it picks up in verse 4 and begins to speak of the mercy of God. Uh, The reality is that apart from Christ, uh, the Bible in multiple passages, it paints a picture of man, we could say God's anthropology, God's view of his image-bearing creatures. Because of the fall of mankind, our first sin against God, from then on, uh, mankind is totally depraved. That is a slave to sin. And not only a slave to sin, but a slave to the devil. I think of the gospel of John chapter 8, where Jesus is speaking with the religious rulers of his day. And he, he indicts them by saying they're, they're claiming to be sons of Abraham and according to the flesh. And then they, you know, they begin to appeal even higher than the authority of the patriarch Abraham and begin to speak of uh, their sonship. To God. And Jesus says, you're not sons of God. Not in any real sense, not in any spiritual sense. You may be children of Abraham according to the flesh, but you're not you're, you're not children of Abraham according to the promise. And you're not children of God even, because if you were, the thing about children is they bear a striking resemblance to their father. And he says, but you don't bear a resemblance to Abraham. He saw my day ahead of time, looking down, looking forward to Christ, and he rejoiced. That is, in the Spirit, through faith, Abraham rejoiced at the promised seed through which God was going to bless and save all the nations. You're not responding. You're not acting in accordance with Abraham, who you continue to claim as your father. You bear no resemblance to him. And you certainly bear no resemblance to God, although you've appealed to him as your ultimate father. But the father that you seem to bear the most striking resemblance to is actually your true father, the devil. And that's what Jesus says to these religious rulers of his day, John chapter 8. He says, you're children of the devil. Why? Because children tend to look like their father. And he says, you look like him. Why? Because he he has two main traits. He's a liar. And from the beginning, he's been A murderer. And he says, and here you are bearing false testimony against me, namely lying, and you're seeking to kill me, namely murder. So Jesus is very clear in multiple other texts throughout scripture, like Ephesians 2, the relationship with sinful men, apart from the saving, redeeming grace of God, apart from a new heart, The, the the miracle of regeneration by a work of the spirit not a work of the flesh it's nothing that mankind can can produce in and of himself it's not something that we can conjure up or manufacture I cannot cause myself to come back to life I cannot cause myself to be transformed from, from a heart of stone like Ezekiel 36 to a heart of flesh all this must be it can only be a work of God a miracle a work of of the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So apart from that work, apart from that miracle, that grace, man is a slave to sin and a child of the devil. And so the Bible is very clear that our relationship, as this question comes to us, you specifically mentioned this. You you said, who is the primary enemy of sinful mankind? Are we first and foremost saved from Satan, sin, ourselves, or something slash someone else? And so the the question is perfect in the way that it was framed, uh, because the answer is that you're rightly recognizing this. Uh, I, I see what you're doing in this question. Yes, we are under the dominion, the bondage, the authority, and influence of Satan, apart from salvation, apart from God's redeeming grace in Christ Jesus. We do, as fallen human beings, need to be rescued from Satan. And we are slaves, like Ephesians said, we're slaves of sin. We need to be rescued. We need to be saved from our sin. And at the end of the day, we, we need to be saved from ourselves. We. we well, we fool ourselves. We, we live under a, a constant sense of delusion and deception, thinking that we're the master of our own fate, that, that we're somehow uh, possessing this autonomous freedom apart from anyone else, including God. And so, so every single human being, apart from salvation, apart from a miracle of God, is in bondage to Satan, to sin, and to their own selfish desires and inclinations. We need to be saved from Satan. We need to be saved from sin. And we need to be saved from ourselves. But your question is, what is it precisely that we need to be first and foremost saved from? What what is it, something or someone, that, that we need to be ultimately saved from? And the answer to that is God. More than we need to be saved from Satan, we need to be saved from God. More than we need to be saved from sin, we need to be saved from the holiness of God. More than we need to be saved from our our own selves, we need to be saved from the one who truly is autonomous, the one who truly is sovereign over all, that is, god our biggest problem the biggest problem for every single human being is that according to scripture we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of god and this god is not a morally mediocre god he will by no means pardon the wicked He is the holy, holy, holy God. And part of what it means for God to be holy is that He cannot ever compromise that holiness. He simply cannot, by virtue of His own holiness, His own righteousness, His own moral perfection, He cannot ever turn a blind eye toward our sin. In order for God to maintain his justice, his holiness, his righteousness, in order for God to continue to be God, he must reward the righteous and punish the wicked. And see, the problem for you and I is that with these two categories of righteous and wicked, every single one of us falls into the category of the wicked. There is none. Romans 3 says, that is righteous. No, not one. Our biggest problem is not Satan. Our, our, our biggest problem is not even ourselves and our sin. Our biggest problem is the holiness of God in relation to our sin. Now, the holiness of God is not a problem, a problem for mankind inherently. And what I mean by that is that the holiness of God is lovely. Lovely. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. The fact that God is holy is a wonderful thing for people who are holy. (laughs) The problem is that the holiness of God, the fact that God is holy, is a terrible thing for people who are sinful, for people who stand in stark opposition to God's holy nature. And so the person, something, or someone will. Turns out that, that it's someone, and that someone is the thrice-holy, triune God, because God is holy and we are not. Uh, our biggest problem is not with, with Satan. Our, our biggest problem is actually with God. We need salvation from God, and that's precisely what salvation is. In the gospel, what God does is this. God saves us from himself. God saves us for himself. That is for his own glory. Ephesians 1 says, to the praise of his glorious grace. And God saves us by himself. Meaning it is not a collaboration between the holy God and sinful man. But that God takes our salvation solely into his own hands, as it were. He saves us from himself, that is, his holiness. He saves us for himself, that is, his glory. And he saves us by himself, that is, by his power, the only power for salvation, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, the biggest thing that you and I need to be saved from We should really say the biggest person that you and I need to be saved from is a holy God. I'll finish by reading this verse. It's John, 1 John, chapter 2, verse 2. He himself, that is Christ, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That is a propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. The language here is not speaking in a universal capacity. The world does not connotate each and every individual, but rather what the author is saying is that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. That is a propitiation, not only for the sins of believing Jews, but an atoning, satiating sacrifice put forward by God to God in order to atone for the sins of all who would believe, not only the Jew, but also the Gentile, from among every tribe, tongue, and nation. See, this verse right here, I know it's small, but it contains so much. 1 John 2, verse 2, Christ is a propitiation. Again, that word, it means an atoning, pleasing, satisfying, satiating sacrifice, atonement, payment, for our sin, meaning that God the Father, John three sixteen, for God the Father is the implication, so loved the world, that is, fallen sinners, that He gave His only Son. That means God the Father put forward Christ as an atoning, satiating, sacrifice for our sin so that he could extend his mercy upon us while perfectly upholding his holiness at the very same time. The person of Jesus and his finished work at Calvary is where both the holiness of God and the mercy of God kiss it is God's mercy towards sinful men carried out in such a way that God's holiness is never compromised even an ounce. God put forward Jesus. Jesus was given by God to God. God is paying the price for our sin. The price is blood, righteous blood, a sacrifice, a sacrifice without blemish, without spot or wrinkle, a a sacrifice, a payment that is enough to satisfy the justice of a holy God. And God himself takes this responsibility into his own hands. God puts Jesus forward. Jesus is put forward from God to God. God gives Jesus to Himself as the only truly pleasing and satisfying sacrifice so that he might pardon sinners like you and I. So salvation, it's for God. We were saved for God, His glory. And we are saved by God, His power, His doing, His sovereign will. And to answer your question, we are also saved not only for God's glory, by God's power, but from God's holy wrath by the atoning work of Jesus Christ, His Son.
0: Thank you, Pastor Joel. And thank you, Terry, for that question. We hope uh, that that served you well. Mm-hmm. And for anybody who is listening, uh, we we hope that you heard the gospel in uh, that message and and heard the, the uh, forgiveness and atonement through Christ Jesus, our Lord, uh, for your sins. And so uh, we would love to hear from you on YouTube or on Facebook or on Twitter or anything like that. And so uh, feel free and write us. We'd love to answer your questions in the future. And thanks for tuning in to Questions. <music> As a special thank you for your gift of any amount, we'll be happy to send you a free digital book from our store. To access this offer, visit rightresponseministries.com offer. We highly recommend Pastor Joel's book, Am I Truly Saved? If you or someone you know has wrestled with doubts about the love of God, this would be a great resource. As a reminder, to get this offer, go to rightresponseministries.com offer. And thank you for your generous support.